When Sister Bear saw Miss Tony's horses, she fell in love. Head over spurs, it was love at first sight. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and this week we are off to the horses, off to the the stables. I don't know anything about I don't know anything about horses beyond what is in this book. Uh, and what is the book? Well, the book this week is The Berenstain Bears Ride Like the Wind from 2002. Now, this is a Random House Stepping Stone book, and we've covered quite a few of these so far. We did The Wrong Crowd, Too Small for the Team, The Goofy Goonie Guy, The Haunted Lighthouse, The Run Amuck Dog Show, and I believe this is the final one in the series. And these are the chapter books that aren't quite the big chapter books but they are beyond the step into reading books so we're dealing with chapters but they're not as long as the longer chapters from the other chapter books and this book is so into the details of the world it has created that i was completely lost as to whether it was authentic whether it made any sense where it was coming from that i knew i had to have a guest on this show who could speak intelligently towards the subject matter at hand the subject matter being of course horses and who better to talk about the subject of horses and horse riding and horse jumping than someone who has experience with horses and horse riding and I assume horse jumping than writer and amateur horse rider and owner, Remy Mazel. Hello, Remy. Hi, Phil. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on the show. Um, I am I correct in that you have you have jumped a horse over a thing? I have jumped a horse over a thing as recently as last weekend. Oh my goodness. Uh, I feel like we're in the presence of like someone with actual skills. Well, don't overestimate my skills. It was a very small thing that we jumped over. But yes, I have jumped a horse over a thing intentionally and stayed on the horse. So there's oh that. God. That's like three things I've never done. So kudos to you. Um, I mean, so this is this is a this is okay. First of all, my first question is, do you have any experience with the Berenstain Bears? I do. I grew up reading these books, and I still swear to God they're the Berenstein Bears, but that's probably just because I'm Jewish and I have some sort of bias about this. <laughs> no, I understand that. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, the Berens Stan Berenstein's family, was uh, they were Jewish immigrants from uh, Ukraine uh, who came into America during, like, the pogroms and... Uh, and so that's like Berenstain was like you know like the like the uh, Americanization of how they pronounce their name, but it's all it's all interrelated. There's like a there's a whole family history there that I just loved. I, I would go on about, <laughs> um, but I understand like it's it's all from the same it's all from the same family of names. Um, but so did you ever read the chapter books? I did. I was a really avid reader when I was little, mainly because I wasn't allowed to really watch TV except for an hour of public television on the weekends. And I do also vividly remember that there was a very well-worn VHS video that was about riding and taking care of horses. And I don't remember what it was called, but I do remember the song that went, Clip Clop, He's My Horse Who Loves to Run and Play. And I'll never forget <laughs> that. And I'll never remember what it was called or find it again. But yeah, I read all the time because I wasn't allowed to watch TV. So, I mean, I guess that's a good enough reason to read. <laughs> 
Uh, so, I mean, wow. Usually I don't get you frequently. My guests have very little experience with the bear family. So this is great. Um, yeah, I have sons of experience with them and I related to sister bear really, really hard. So, Oh really? Yeah. She, she was kind of my Patronus, if you will. She, I think she really embodied my spirit and my temper. And I felt like she was unnecessarily put upon of all the family members. She is the character who I've grown over the last few years to really appreciate because she tends to be the one, she's the most forthright of the bears. And, uh, and she, even though she tends to act before she thinks at times, uh, she's a lot stronger and a bigger personality than Brother Bear is. Uh, Absolutely. Brother be Bear is a wet blanket. He can be a real wet blanket. <laughs> He internalizes his problems. He does. And Sister Bear just goes out and solves them. 100% behind Sister Bear. So Sister Bear loves horses. And uh, she's she is has in the past books uh, expressed a love for horses. When did you start developing your love of horses? I was born with it. I'm, I'm sure I came out of the womb insisting that I was going to have a horse for my first birthday. I, I was one of those kids who, I don't know where I got this idea, but we lived in Manhattan when I was a kid and also on the 25th floor on the Upper East Side <laughs> and we were Jewish, but none of that stopped me from believing that on Christmas day, I would look outside my window and see a beautiful black horse with a big red ribbon around his neck waiting for me as my present. I, I don't really know what was with me, but I was really sure that was going to happen every year. So I just grew up insistent that Horses were my thing. I was going to have one. It was happening any minute. Living in the middle of the most densely populated city where there was absolutely nowhere that I could see a horse except for the occasional police horse and, of course, the Central Park Carousel, which is where my parents took me for my outlet for horses. Do you think that that like, fed your, your interest in horses or was this just a totally, it came out of like just internally? Your, I think your some people horse. are just born with a horse crazy gene and there's just nothing you can do about it. People either get it or they don't. You either are a horse squirrel or you're not. And I just unfortunately was. So I wore my parents down when I turned about 12 after just years and years of insisting this is happening, whether you like it or not. And my dad's argument against me taking riding lessons was Superman got paralyzed, so you're not allowed. And I did the research and found out that it was kind of his own fault because he was riding a new horse in a competition, as far as I can remember. And he jumped higher than his trainer advised and he was being a little bit reckless. So. Accidents do happen, but there are things you can do to prevent things like that from happening. And he, as far as I can remember, did acknowledge that he had a part to play in that happening. So, you know, I said, I'm more likely to get her getting hit by a car than I am in a horse riding accident. So you may as well just give in because I'm never going to shut up about this ever. So I started taking <laughs> lessons. That is a well thought through argument. <laughs> it was, yeah. It, and then I made a similar argument on the financial side where it was like, you can send my sisters to this super expensive Jewish summer camp that I absolutely hate, or for the same price, you can let me have a horse for a year. So that was kind of the way I 
eventually overcame all of the resistance to me finally getting my horse. Obviously, you lived in the city. So where did you end up uh, taking these lessons? Yeah, we eventually moved to the suburbs, um, Mm. Rockland County, which is across the river from Westchester, which more people have heard of. And there was this little tiny riding school that was kind of right next to the post office on Main Street in our little town. And you would never know it was there if you drove right by it. You basically couldn't see anything except for some trees. And they just tucked away a little barn and one little riding ring. I think they kept about 12 horses. They had two little fields to turn them out. And I had like the the craziest lady training me there. She scared the crap out of me (laughs) daily. Uh, She was the kind of person who if she saw me fall off, bleeding she would just come after me and say well get back on and ask me if I wanted four or five Advil and just stand there kind of smoking and with her NRA certificates on the wall behind her I was I was terrified of her but it it was a real character building experience so you orchestrated your life to literally be the plot of any number of like horse books written about horse lessons like having read enough of these to my daughters in my life this is like what happens like that's like the story of what happens the kid moves from the city takes horse lessons there's the tough riding teacher uh small riding school it's just it's almost too perfect yeah I literally I I just kind of willed it into existence (laughs) yes you did that's amazing that's magical thinking (laughs) it it literally is and I also I did make a promise to my dad when we did go and pick up my first horse that it was just until college and now we would sell him then but I had my fingers crossed behind my back I never had any intention of that happening it was definitely a lie so that's not so this is not unlike the plot of the Berenstain Bears uh ride like the wind except sister has to do Uh, slightly less cajoling to get her parents to agree to give her writing lessons. That was the one thing that made me a little mad reading this. She was just like, I want to ride horses now. Her parents were like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Papa must have like had a great, like a great year uh, building furniture for, uh, for the, uh, the local billionaire to, uh, to afford this all of a sudden. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I, I put in over a decade working on my parents and, you know, I didn't just get to buy my own horse. I had to first, do what they call leasing where you kind of part own a horse and you you spend some time taking care of them and you get access to them three days a week or whatever their arrangement is but you don't have the full responsibility so you don't pay for vet bills or farriers or whatever it is so you have less responsibility and less financial burden but you do have some of the experience of ownership so I really worked my way up to ownership and I think Sister Bear really skipped a few steps and i think that's not fair so (laughs) (laughs) well i mean you didn't have the fortune to find a horse in the mountains so well yeah that's also true i I did not get to go find like a glorious mustang who would let (laughs) me just jump on his back and race him so i do appreciate this book for like sort of settling itself into kind of the the daily ins and outs of being in a writing school and then kind of at the last minute transforming it into a into a fantasy like horse novel 
that sister would have read herself. It almost seems to be doing a, a bit with a wink and a nod. Yeah, I appreciated that too because there there were some really good insights into like what does it actually mean to be a horse person? Because lots of people think, oh, horse people so fancy. They see the pictures of like, people riding in white joggers and tailcoats and all these things. That's not really the reality for 99.9% .9 of us. Most of it is like what Sister was describing. You're you know, mucking out stalls and grooming and it's hot and sweaty and you're covered in mud most of the time and you're getting spit on or sneezed on by the horses. It is not a glamorous activity at all. But then there's that flight of fancy. <laughs> then yeah. you're kind of, oh, just <laughs> like that. That's fantastic. I love that. So for the, for the listeners, so this is a story about how Sister wants to take riding lessons so she's allowed to take riding lessons at ms tony's riding school and stable and she is assigned an old mare named old bess and she begins her riding lessons and as you said it is it is not a glamorous beginning it's tough sister's frightened of the horse and it takes her a while to get used to it i assume that that's that, that's a little at least uh realistic for many kids oh completely yeah i mean i think especially my my very tough, scary riding teacher, but I think most ethical riding teachers will really make you get to grips with the basics of horse care and everything. They won't really just let you show up and hop on a horse and feel like you're on top of the world, you know everything, because school horses, for the most part, they they know their job so well that if an instructor is standing in the middle of an arena and they say, okay, trot now, the horse hears the word trot and they'll just do it. And then the person on the horse will be like, oh, I'm so good at this. I know everything. <laughs> uh, they will really make you learn, okay, the horse needs to be brushed. The horse needs to be tacked up. They also need to be watered and it needs to be cleaned afterwards. They can't be put away sweaty, all these things. And I also got a really grueling introduction. I... I got a really nice horse lease. He was a 29 year old, which is very old for a horse, wow. ex police horse. But I was forced to take a lot of bareback riding lessons on him, which is, it's very hard to do, but it's excellent for building what they call a good seat. So you have really good balance. You don't depend on tugging on the reins, which is uncomfortable for the horse or using your stirrups too much for balance. So you really have a proper steady, strong core and good balance regardless of anything. So if the horse were to buck or spook or whatever, you have a pretty good chance of staying on. So I would be lunged where the trainer stands in the middle of the arena on a long line with the horse and makes the horse run in circles around you. And I was on bareback and the teacher would tell me, okay, now stick your arms out to the side, put your arms up, reaching up oh. to the sky, turn around to the side look backwards and I'd have to do all those things at a canter and stay on basically. So it was like a real trial by fire. And I was definitely absolutely terrified the entire time. That's like how Meg Ryan died in city of angels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was like, I don't know if I actually like this anymore. This is maybe not what I had in mind, but I, I of course realized now that that was absolutely the best possible thing for me. But yeah, at the time, it was really scary. Well, Ms. Tony makes the point to sister that she's like, you're going to fall hundreds of times. You're yes. going to get banged up. You're going to get beaten up uh, in this. And it's a matter of like, just do you want to keep doing it? She like actually gives sister that option. Yes. And I thought that was a really, really great part to include in the story because 
I think, again, you, when you watch a horse movie, like a typical horse movie, there's like some girl from the city goes out, she's troubled, she goes to a farm to get shaped up and she meets like a wild, angry horse who doesn't like anybody. But then magically, she's the only one who could tame him. And then within two days, she's riding him in the Grand Prix show jumping competition, jumping him five feet and winning the you know top blue ribbon and that is of course completely absurd because she's never ridden a horse in her life right. and that horse is totally untamed so i think a lot of girls maybe grow up on that myth and they don't really see like the real truth is you are going to fall off hundreds of times even if you're a really really good rider even if your horse is really really trustworthy and older and more experienced you can't predict everything and you are going to get hurt and you just can't let that fear stop you. And if it is going to stop you, then maybe you should look for something else. And the book doesn't glamorize, well, as you pointed out, like the life of just taking care of a horse because sister has to learn to muck and she has to learn to, to brush the horse and uh, just be a generally a good horse owner. And the writers draw the line between how good sister is at that and the other girls in the writing school. Yes, there are real political dynamics that go on at stables. And I have been at every different kind of stable in the world, basically. So my very first one was, you know, small, it was homely, everyone was pretty friendly, we were all kind of on the same page. Nobody had a super fancy horse, nobody really judged anybody else particularly. It was all mainly about everyone wanting to get better at what they did, and no one was super competitive. Like no one was really going to shows or anything like that. We did some friendly competitions and some really kind of strange things. Like we had a team penning competition once, which is where three riders in a team go into a big arena that's full of cows that have different numbers on them or whatever. And you have a limited amount of time to corral only cows with odd numbers or whatever into a smaller pen within the arena. And my team actually came in third doing that once, which is like one of the biggest victories of my entire life because oh, wow. I'd never done anything like that before. <laughs> it was insane. And so, you know, there, there's not a lot of Western riding in suburban New York, New York City area. So yeah. that was something I'd never done before. I thought it was super fun. But then I've also been at Staples, more like where I am now in the greater London sort of area where there are competitive show jumping and dressage shows kind of every other weekend and you do see people who come who have horses who you know probably cost in the five or six figure region and they are definitely kind of looking up and down and looking your horse up and down and looking at what you're wearing and what your horse is wearing and it's definitely different and yeah. i was at a barn previously where i took care of the horses for a weekend while my friend who owned the place went away and there was a horse who cost $175,000 and he was the biggest jerk I've ever met in my life. You would think for that amount of money he would have some manners, but no. <laughs> and it tends to be that the people with the horses that are that expensive are not so pleasant to deal with. So there's a correlation there hmm. in my experience. Well, sister definitely experiences that because she gets... There's a, there's a huge class divide here in the book. Yeah. Uh, sister, of course, doesn't own her horse, and the other girls do. But there's also, like, clearly, like, there's three girls, Sally, Jill, and Gwen, 
who each represent kind of a different place in that hierarchy as well with sally having the nicest horse then sort of going down the line and sally being the the snootiest she keeps telling sister to uh to get a horse yeah and she was also the one who hadn't trained her horse midnight i believe yeah any manners and i think that's something that i've definitely seen time and time again you get these really flashy well-bred you know really beautiful and sometimes really capable in competition horses but then you try to handle them on the ground and they're completely impossible like they don't stand still they kick they bite if they see something that's like remotely anything out of the ordinary it could just be like a plastic bag that floats by in the wind they go out of their minds and meanwhile my pretty average you know nice american paint horse who cost less than five grand many many years ago is just kind of standing there looking at the horse like what on earth is wrong with you it's because those people who are buying those super expensive horses tend not to put the time in and really do groundwork and practice. Mm -hmm. They tend to kind of hand their horses over to grooms and just expect that when they show up to ride, their horse will be tacked up and ready to go and they don't really want to do any of the dirty work. So that's kind of why it is the way it is, generally speaking. Not everybody's like that, but that's right. the common theme. They they mention that Midnight is threatened by Bess as like the leader of the horses. I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, that's totally a thing. Pack dynamics for horses, like like with dogs. So horses go out in herds usually when they're turned out. So they don't spend 100% of their time in stalls, especially if they're not elite competition horses. I'd consider it pretty cruel to keep them cooped up in a stall all the time, especially now in the summer. My horse and all the horses where he's kept right now, they're out in the fields almost 24-7. Unless there were like a monsoon kind of rain, they wouldn't be brought in really. And my horse is actually only brought in sometimes because he's getting too fat from eating too much grass, which uh. is classic for him. <laughs> Uh, we both have summer bodies at the moment, um, so it's it's fair. I won't body shame him too much, but they they do have a pecking order, and they they kind of establish it amongst themselves, and they they do it by kind of play fighting, and sometimes it gets to be kind of serious fighting. They fight over resources and things mm. like that. So that's why if you walk around in the countryside and you see a field of horses you really shouldn't go over and feed them because you might cause a big fight amongst them oh wow i never thought about that yeah there's there have been a lot of stories in kind of horsey magazines recently because of quarantine and lockdown and everything more people have been going out walking in the british countryside and there have been a lot more incidents of horses getting injured and sick and things like that because people don't know anything about them so they might go over and maybe feed one horse a carrot or something, and then horses start fighting and kicking each other, or if they feed something inappropriate to them and they get sick. So yeah. they are as big and powerful as horses are, they're the most delicate, fragile creatures. They're just like constantly looking for ways to kill themselves. <laughs> That's that, I think that was the thing when I was a kid that always intimidated me about horses, the fact that they were these m incredibly large mammals that seemed very... Well, as you said, like very delicate or skittish or uh, maybe it was just the horse, the few horses I ever had experience with. But I don't think I think that like that contradiction in my head just sort of like intimidated me away from them as a child. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And very many of them are. I mean, mine, because of the type of horse he is, he's a quarter horse. So the kind of horse that was bred in the American Southwest for cattle ranching sort of duties. He's He's got more of a level head. Yeah. But his, his best friend at the moment where we live is a big, black, gorgeous, thoroughbred, warm blood cross type horse. And he's very high strung. If he sees a bicycle, he goes nuts. If he sees a bin or something that he hasn't seen before, he just starts prancing around, tries to bolt, just loses his mind. So, I mean, they're all, they're all characters, they're all individuals, but yeah, certain yeah. types of horses tend to be more high strung than others. Well, sister has to learn to, to jump. The, 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 the kids are learning to jump uh, and, uh, and sister's having trouble well, she's intimidated by it because old Bess is not a, a fast horse. She's an intelligent horse and she's, and sister is, is developing a good relationship with her, but, uh, but she's not quick. And, uh, there's one interesting part. One of the horses is intimidated by the fake brick wall. They get around it by turning the brick wall around. So it doesn't look like bricks because Ms. Tony postulates that perhaps the horse had a bad experience with a wall at some point in its life. And I found that an interesting, like just sort of behavioral thing to put into the book, just to point out that these horses have a past. These horses have, have inner lives. Yeah, they do. So I've known horses that would freak out if they saw a man wearing a baseball cap and the best we could figure was they had been treated badly by a man who wore a baseball cap frequently. Mm. My totally bomb-proof ex-police horse that I used to lease was incredible and he wasn't afraid of anything except pumpkins. And we think maybe because he used to have to go out on patrols on Halloween, he had a bad association with pumpkins. Huh. So you never know. I mean, my horse also took an instant dislike to a friend of a friend when she came and to meet him, but she was wearing really strong perfume that day. So maybe that agitated him. You, you really don't ever have an idea, but jumping particularly, you do have to be careful because yes, you have to have some speed when you approach a jump because they, they need to, to get some lift off, especially if the jump is high. But you definitely can't go around too fast either or else you're out of control and it's dangerous. If you're approaching something that looks like a solid wall, that for sure could make a horse really intimidated. If it looks like it's solid, would you want to jump at it? I wouldn't. And right. the other thing to keep in mind with horses, they have their eyes on the side of their head. So they actually have a blind spot directly in front of them. Oh. So it's actually kind of insane that they jump anything because right. at the moment that they're jumping it, they can't see it. So they're relying on a little bit memory and a lot your guidance to say, okay, when should I take off to, to jump over it and how high and how far do I need to jump to clear this jump? Wow. So if it's something that looks like a solid wall that they might hit at all, they're probably pretty reluctant to do it just initially unless they're quite experienced jumpers so yeah I mean, and there are for people riders who are jumping i mean i'm a nervous jumper because i don't have a lot of experience and my horse didn't he was actually bred for and initially green broke as we say so the very basics of training he had mm -hmm. were for western pleasure riding so uh -oh. with no intention of jumping and he used to be ridden in a western saddle so i trained him and switched him over to English style. So 
I was completely nervous about jumping because you need to approach jump with intent. You need to give them leg, as they say. So, you know, give them a little bit of a squeeze and really encourage them so that they're definitely moving forward and going over the jump when you get to it and they don't stop short right when they approach it. Because yeah. if they do that, then you're going to go over the jump over their neck and maybe hit head first on the ground, which sucks. Yeah. Or they might suddenly veer around it to the side but because the way you're meant to go over a jump you're supposed to be in what's called a half seat position so slightly raised in the saddle you're so much more likely to fall off if they do any of those things at the last minute it's very nerve-wracking sounds like it yeah so there there's a lot to consider with jumping and especially if you haven't done it before and your horse has never done it before so if it's an unfamiliar horse or a green horse who hasn't been trained. It can be dangerous and it can be nerve wracking. Well, sister never gets that far at this point because uh, old Bess ends up getting in a fight with Midnight during the jumping lesson and bites Midnight on the ear and they rear up and sister falls off. And this is, she gets taken into Ms. Tony's office and this is where sister learns that uh, Ms. Tony used to be a trick rider and that old Bess had been her horse. And then we learned that old Bess had had a baby that had run away into the, into the wilderness. And that, that's why old Bess is always so sad. And this is where things start getting a little less about the ins and outs of riding school and a little more into, into the, the mythology of the, of, of the horse. Yeah. So, so first of all, rearing is one of the most dangerous things that can ever happen with a horse. If I knew a horse had reared ever, especially with a rider on board, I would be very reluctant to ride that horse. Oh, wow. I've never seen my horse do it ever in his life. I've owned him since he was four years old, which is very young. It's, it's so dangerous because they could flip over backwards on top of you and mm -hmm. seriously injure or kill you. And it's something that's very hard to break once it becomes a habit. It's something that's a serious, serious vice. It's something that, like, if you're selling a horse, you, you really, really need to disclose that that's something that horse does. It's one thing if they maybe occasionally do it out in the field when they're kind of play fighting with another horse. But if they do it when they're being ridden, it's really, really bad. So it's definitely important that that was addressed. But also the fact that sister got back on old Bess after that happened... I mean, she's really brave. And it's also <laughs> super important that she did it quickly because the longer you go after you have a fall without getting back on, the harder it is. Like, there's a reason that they say you have to get back in the saddle. It's yeah. a literal life lesson. It's a, it's a life lesson that I've learned in the most literal way over and over again. Because I my horse has broken a couple of my bones. <laughs> you know, We've had some quite painful incidents, but the most important thing was every trainer I've ever had has made me, if it was physically possible, get immediately back on and have a successful couple of minutes before I was able to stop for the day because otherwise I would have been left with a really bad memory yeah. and then I would have been too scared the next time I came back to get on him again. But it does still leave lingering memories. It's why I can still be nervous about doing things like jumping today because I've had my horse for 11 years and I've moved him overseas with me, but I still remember what he was like before. So even though it's been years since he's 
maliciously tried to get me off him. I mm. still kind of remember what that felt like, and I don't really, really trust him as much as people who haven't had experiences like that with him who ride him. Yeah. So that's one thing. But then the, the story about the trick riding, I thought that was really cool too. Trick riding is something I've definitely never done. It's a completely different set of skills. It's more like being like a gymnast or... I don't even know what you call people who are in the circus, but it's like that. And horses who are trained for that are completely trustworthy to a whole other degree because they're trained to not mind that you're leaping all over them and jumping onto their backs while they just kind of maintain a steady pace so that it's safe for you to do that. I mean, if I knew that Old Bess was a trick horse, I would maybe be even more confident about riding <laughs> after that. The, then a separate thing that she had a son who ran off into the mountains. I, I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not a usual thing at a riding school? No, I, do, I don't think they usually allow fools to just run off and then just go, oh, well, you can like it here. <laughs> that, that is the part that I was like, did no one, it's a foal. Like, did no one go after the foal? Like, it just ran off into the woods and they were like, that's a lot. We'll just write that one off. Yeah, that's that's a little weird. Like, a baby horse kind of needs its mother, like, typically. So if something really, if something tragic happened, a foal was born and then the mother died or they were separated somehow, like, they, it would need to be adopted by another horse, essentially, mm -hmm. to survive if it was very young. And I don't, and I don't think there's packs of wild horses in bear country. Yeah, not not so much. Like its chances of survival would not be great. <laughs> well, well, what happens is she says sister actually asks like because she says like oh Bess Bess had a horse and and she's sad because he's gone and sister actually says oh did he get sick and die? Yeah, um, that would be my assumption as well. I would not think oh he ran off to the mountains and is living a happy free life as a Mustang because he's not a Mustang. He's a domesticated horse. <laughs> Well, she says, well, where did he go? Because Miss Tony's like, oh, he's a Mustang and they like to run free. And sister says, where did he go? And Miss Tony just points to the mountains and says, we think he went there. And I'm like, oh, well, does no one even, was no one even looking when it, when it occurred? I mean, the moment I went to do like night check in the barn, like, I mean, if you, if you own a barn and you are responsible for your own or anyone else's horses you check on them multiple times a day and the moment there was a foal missing it would have been like all hands on deck search parties yeah. out there <laughs> like signs posted <laughs> calling everybody calling like i don't know the fire department like whoever like we are finding this foal immediately <laughs> not just like hoping for the best out in the wilderness <laughs> i don't know that, that's insane <laughs> i have no idea how it survived well this chapter does have my favorite line from the book though which which not only cracked me up, but is also like, I think a wise saying on sister's part. It's when Ms. Tony is talking to sister about it, whether she's going to quit writing or not. And she says, uh, and she says, there's a saying said, Ms. Tony, when you fall off a horse, you should get right back on. And then sister says, there's all kinds of sayings, Ms. Tony. <laughs> and I just love that. That sister's response. There are all kinds of sayings. Some of them yep. are totally nonsense. So yeah, I don't know. She she was right. She was right to express doubt. The horse reared and she could have died. So yeah, maybe yeah. not. I just I love I I really appreciate as 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 a reader and as a parent and as someone with experience doing things I wasn't comfortable with, the fact that they let sister really have this 
consideration of just not doing it anymore that she didn't necessarily feel safe and she had a choice like do i want to go back and 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 try again or do i want to quit and i think that's something that kids have to have to deal with in all aspects of their life and it's cool to see a character like sister like not be ashamed of having that that impulse that feeling i agree i especially because as a kid i was forced to do a whole lot of things i'm the eldest child so obviously mm. i was the experiment so i had to take classical piano and ballet and eventually classical guitar and all sorts of things i really wanted to quit a lot of them but there were just a lot of endless arguments and but we've invested so much money we bought you the outfit we i don't know we bought a piano all this stuff so there were a lot of days spent arguing and me sat at a piano for four hours because i refused to practice and i was told i couldn't leave the piano until i practiced so to actually have the opportunity to consider is this a passion of mine do i want to pursue it and then turn it into something that has become part of my life and part of my identity and something that I know will be part of me forever is really cool, especially when it's something that's not easy, not a given. It's a real investment emotionally and financially, really in every way. I think letting a kid discover that for themselves and encouraging it is great. And every parent should absolutely do that. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I would say that horse riding is just kind of like, a bigger investment than some things, but it is still one of those things that a kid may want to do and then realize it's just not for them. And I think as parents, uh, it's important to realize that that not everything your child tries is going to be a perfect fit for them. Yeah, it's absolutely true. And, you know, I, I did ask, could I do figure skating at one point? And was said, no, we're not buying you figure skates only for you to change your mind. And it's like, well, I mean, that, that sort of thing is going to happen with kids at some yeah. point. They... They might think they want to do something and then the reality might be different than what they think. I was really pretty confident with horses. That was not going to yeah. happen. <laughs> well, obviously, clearly, this is a, this is a, that was a major life project for you. It was. Yeah, it was just like plotting and planning for basically my entire life since infancy. Yeah. So, and yeah, the, the chances of me just saying, you know what, I'm going to hang up my riding helmet was just basically not, it was just not existent. <laughs> well, barreling towards the end of this book here, uh, uh, Sister starts having dreams that she's going to encounter this Mustang. Prophetic uh, dreams. <laughs> yes, yes. As as all Berenstain Bears dreams are, it's not only highly specific to their to their current situation, it's also prophetic. She begins daydreaming in class about this Mustang, and now we have, there's like a race. There's going to be like, a, it's like a final for the for the class where the horses are going to race through the woods. And uh, sisters anticipating Old Bess being so slow, coming in last, but Old Bess has other, has other plans. And in the middle of the race, she veers off the course, heads up into the mountains, and that's when we encounter this on a on a on a rocky crest, the most beautiful wild red horse sister has ever seen. And lo and behold, it is it is the runaway Mustang. I I did I really enjoyed this. I mean, a word of caution: if you see a wild Mustang, do not attempt to ride it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really bad idea. Also, if you're riding a horse and it just tries to take off in another direction like 
don't let that happen. Yeah. That's <laughs> not good. <laughs> I, yeah, I was reading this out loud to, to Mitzi and uh, she was like, wait, 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 wait. Can't sister like turn the horse? Can't she turn the horse? And I was like, I, I guess not. I guess Bess is just <laughs> doing her own thing. Like, first of all, steer the horse. Second yeah. of all, stop the horse. If all else fails, perform an emergency dismount. <laughs> I mean, that, <laughs> you should have been taught all of those things well before you're doing anything like what appears to be like a full-on gallop race, which I don't really understand why that's the final because I was expecting like a show jumping final yeah. competition because they, they've been learning to jump. So I, I don't know. It was a bit of a left turn, but that's okay. Um, it's also a little weird to make some kids in ponies race when there's like a really old slow pony that has no chance of ever right. winning. <laughs> so I don't know. I did think that was weird. Like they know that old Bess is a slower horse. Like that's just established. Like she's not ever going to beat these horses in a flat out race. Yeah. So it's not really competition. And it also doesn't involve that much skill for that reason. It's just like, I, I mean, I guess it's, see if they can all stay on at that point right. because it sounds like midnight is just gonna bolt and so i don't know if if everyone stays on then it's just like midnight's gonna win and old best is gonna lose so it's who's gonna come in second and third is the question that's not very interesting right clearly from a plot point it had to be set up so that so that old best could run away which would be difficult to do during a jumping competition. It would have been more difficult because I guess they would have been in an enclosure, although then yeah. maybe Bess could have surprised us with her jumping ability. Oh, you're right. <laughs> we never really got to see if Bess could do the jumps that well. Um, but instead what happens is they encounter this wild Mustang. Sister immediately names it Flame. Yes, because I guess he's a chestnut. So, all right, fine. Um, and then... Yeah, rides without any tack at all, which mm -hmm. again, like that, that's remarkable skill. So I'm um, good for her. Yeah, well, you said never get on a Mustang, a wild horse if you encounter it, but it says here the Mustang wanted Sister to do something. <laughs> and she realizes that she has to get on. He has no saddle, no stirrups, no reins, but he was so fast and so beautiful, she had to try to ride him. Yeah, I mean, if you are getting a telepathic message from the Mustang, mm -hmm. I don't know. Still don't do it. <laughs> I was going to say it would probably be more dangerous to not do it. If you, if you're definitely, I mean, if the horse is talking to you, probably first go to the doctor. Yeah. But if the horse is still talking to you after you've ruled out any kind of psychiatric conditions, then definitely go ahead and ride the Mustang, I would say. And then we get a... We get a weird, so plot-wise, something weird happens. Sister sister rides Flame and then gets off and says goodbye to Flame and goes back to the race. And then Flame comes back. And sis, I thought Sister was just going to ride Flame back to the race. But instead, there's like a, she gets off Flame. She gets back on Old Bess. She goes back to the race. Then Flame shows back up. Sister gets back on Flame and runs the race on Flame. Yes, I was very confused at that point. I was like, okay, so is what's what's the end goal here? Is she going to adopt Flame? Is Flame coming back to the yard? Is she going to win the race? But 
really none of it happens. I don't know. Right, right. It, it's just like it's everybody just, looks just like, <laughs> and I thought that was really harsh. Yeah, I mean, she just she found the missing foal. Like, yeah, she, she, she tamed a wild horse. I think that that would score a few more points over. Yeah, for me, if you win a horse race on a wild Mustang without any tack and you just pull that completely out of your hat out of nowhere yeah then you automatically win even yeah. if you somehow weren't the fastest so i think that was just like really really cool everyone was <laughs> being a job's worth about it she definitely should have. well wow, Miss Tony Tony is, is... is you know she's coming from the circus life so she knows that there's there's established uh traditions and rules yeah, I totally get that, but I would have held on to some resentment. And I don't know, I guess sister is being a bigger person than me in this case because she seemed okay with it. Yeah, because, I mean, the whole family's there watching. But, yeah, so sister wins the race, obviously. She's on a magic horse. And snooty Sally says, no fair, no fair. Sister didn't ride her own horse. And Ms. Tony says, Sally's right. The cup goes to Sally. But it says that sister didn't mind because she knew who really won the race. Everyone knows who really won the race because they start cheering for her, which makes me feel bad for Sally at that point. Yeah, at that point, it's like, well, if everyone's going to cheer for her, they'll just give her the medal thing. I mean, yeah. really, like that. it's just, it's strange, I will say. It's <laughs> cognitive dissonance. And then it does something that I am always charmed by whenever a Berenstain Bears book does that. It projects into the future. And it says, as time went on, Sister became a fine rider. She rode many horses in many shows and many races. And I'm like, they never, ever, maybe once in a thousand books will be like, as time went on, these kids are never supposed to age. So now we know that at least into her teen years, Sister continued riding horses and competing, competing with horses. So it sounds like it was a good fit for her. I did really like that, but my only quip is she is clearly already an extremely fine rider. <laughs> uh, that's the only thing I have to say about that. I mean, she came to Mustang and rode it without any tack and won a race, so <laughs> there is not that much room for improvement. I mean, she's, she's done something very few of us can do. I will say, the last time I rode a horse without a saddle was at a riding school here in London when I was waiting for my horse to move over here. And I woke up in an ambulance. Oh, so, no. um, yeah, it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> it does not always go well. I mentioned that to my instructor last weekend when I was having my jumping lesson. And she said, are they an accredited riding school? Because <laughs> <laughs> they should not have done that. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's not particularly safe. Um, what happened was essentially, I mean, it was going fine, but the horse spooked and bolted. And it's it, at that point, like your chances of staying on, if it's sudden and they're bolting, they're not just kind of trotting in a straight line and you're not prepared are not that high. Mm -hmm. So I fell off. Obviously I was wearing a helmet because everyone should always wear a helmet a hundred percent of the time on a horse and often when handling a horse, even on the ground. Um, but I hit the little logs that were kind of lining the edge of the riding arena so i must have been knocked unconscious by that but i wasn't aware of it obviously uh, but fortunately we have the nhs here so it didn't cost me anything too yeah but do you do you remember this happening or is this 
Well, I, I remember that I was riding and I remember that she spooked and I remember trying to stay on, but uh-huh. then I just remember waking up with paramedics zooming over me. And I remember thinking the paramedics were cute. And so, so were you, were you, uh, in the hospital for a while or they just give you like yeah they took me to the hospital and they asked me to basically sit there and wait and observe me for a while and then they kind of determined that i didn't appear to have a concussion or a serious head injury and they said okay you can go and then i walked out of the hospital kind of guiltily because i was waiting for someone to ask me for money but it didn't happen of course and i still felt like i got away with something doing that but yeah i just went home and i had a bit of a sore head and hip and ankle and a lot of parts of my body for a few days and then I was fine but then yes of course I went back the next weekend because you have to get back on the horse and you haven't had any like symptoms since then like brain injury wise no it's not as far as I can tell I mean hopefully somebody would alert me if I seemed like I was crazy or repeating things or whatever happens if you get knocked unconscious but as far as I know that's the only time I've actually been knocked out riding horse but I have, you know, I broke my sacrum riding my own horse a couple of years ago, and that was very, very painful, but it was the first time I'd broken a bone, so I didn't know that I broke a bone, and I thought uh-huh. breaking a bone would be more painful, so I just collected him, went about my business for a little while, was limping around, put him away, drove home, I was at university, and then I went back to the stables to work there, the next day because I was working off the cost of keeping him during the summer and I was trying to muck out a stall and uh-huh. someone else working there was watching me and she said I think you should go to the hospital <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I ended up driving home to New York for about four and a half hours with a pillow behind my back Ooh. I went to one of my family's doctors and he said I don't think you could have broken it because you would not have been able to do that drive if you had and he made me lie flat on a metal x-ray table which was agony and then he said i stand corrected and asked me if i was trained by the cia to resist pain so (laughs) i learned that i now know what a bone break feels like and i ended up having to rest for about four months and sit on a donut yeah so uh, you know like as you said at the top of the episode horse horse riding has its has its perils it has uh, its perils and it's dirty and messy and uh yeah i wouldn't wouldn't call it glamorous but no, i also no. wouldn't trade it for anything in the world well in a way horse riding because i work for a brain injury alliance and in a way horse riding and horses are like brain injury in that the media portrays them one way and the reality is different so like when you said like a horse rears that's like a huge deal but in in cinema we the horse rearing is a dramatic shot, so we always see it happen. It's a, oh, yeah, they do it all the time, and they're always making so much noise in the movies, yeah, too. Yeah. They're, like, running around whinnying, but with their mouths shut, which is completely <laughs> illogical. It's not possible to do that. <laughs> so, it's so annoying. It's a pet peeve of mine. So it's, so it's interesting that Ride Like the Wind, this book, this Berenstain Bears book, kind of, like, splits the difference between, like, the, the gritty reality of, of horse ownership and the fanciful Hollywood idea of, of what riding a horse is. We go from sister can barely hold herself up on a saddle 
to Sister Mounts a wild Mustang and rides like the wind. And of course, I think that that's a conscious choice on the part of the Berenstains that 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 they were like, we're going to we're going to we're going to go both ways with this book because that's what the kids are going to be interested in. I really appreciated that they showed the reality of horse riding, but then they they let us all kind of enjoy the the fantasy world of horses a little bit because who doesn't dream of that? magic wild horse that loves only you and performs for only you i think we all Mm -hmm. would like to think that there's a horse that your soul horse out there like that and i'll say that my nine-year-old when i read this to her uh last night was rolling her eyes uh through much of the book because she's too cool for a horse story but by the end of the story was was bouncing in her seat and clapping uh when when sister got on the horse and she was like i knew it i knew she was gonna ride that mustang and I was like, "Yep, it still works. It's still a great, it's still a great plot uh, for kids to read." Um, so you said to me when I sent you this book, you said, uh, "New fave. Is it still now your favorite novel ever written?" I would say it's definitely my favorite novel ever written. I only regret that I didn't read this when I was younger because I would have got to enjoy it that much longer. But. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's a little bit of a dearth of good horse fiction, both novel and cinematic. Maybe I'll just have to write my own. But yeah, they all they all kind of follow a formula, which is a bit of a shame. And they tend not to focus on the reality enough. And I think what I did appreciate the most about this one was that it really did. It showed what it really is like being a novice and what really goes into taking care of a horse and learning the basics. So yeah. I thought it was great. The only thing I wish was different is that I wish Sister got to keep Flame. Yeah. Well, maybe he'll be back one day. Maybe. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so that was The Berenstain Bears Ride Like the Wind from 2002. I liked this book myself a lot, just like I've liked all the Stepping Stone books. They have uh, fun illustrations by Mike Berenstain. He loves drawing animals. He loves drawing technical stuff. So he, he illustrates the writing school well. And I always like it when the Berenstain Bears have a uh, have an older an older woman teacher because they always seem to love writing gruff older woman teachers who teach the cubs about things, uh, and that's what Ms. Tony is. She's a good authority figure in bear country. True to uh, reality as well. Yes, <laughs> yes, not not mean, but but very but, but tough. Tough and, and straightforward. So, so Remy, uh, where can uh, any of our listeners uh, find uh, find more from you? Well, you can find more from me on my website, if you wish. It's just my name, RemyMaisel.com, R-E-M-Y-M-A-I-S-E-L.com, or on Twitter at Remini, R-E-M-E-A-I-N-E. And yeah, I just kind of tweet about my horse and my dog, and that's mostly it at the moment. So if you like (laughs) horse content, I'm the person to go to. Good horse content. And I'm going to assume that after this episode, uh, all of my listeners are going to be clamoring for more good horse content. So so everyone check that out. If you're looking for more uh, deep in bear country, you can find me at berenstainbearcast.org. Uh, not org. What am I? Wait, is it org? I'm so, I just switched websites, so I'm very confused. Yes, berenstainbearcast.org. Uh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at bstainbearcast uh, or on Patreon at, bear, at patreon.com forward slash deep in bear country. Uh, Remy, thank you once again for being on the show. I was so happy to have you on. Oh, I really, really enjoyed it. Anytime you want to talk to me about horses, I am there. 
will do. And for everyone else out there, I will see you all next time deep in Barrow.